Pastor Xavier Reese and the consuming fire of a holy God on today's Simple Truths. God acts in accordance to His holiness. If you are wood, hay, and stubble, the fire consumes you. If you are gold, silver, or precious stone, you're turned into object of permanency. Are you going to fault the fire? The fire remains the same. It's the nature of the material. God is the epitome of holiness. He acts in according to His holiness. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's no imagery in Scripture to better illustrate God's sovereignty over man than the picture of a potter creating a vessel on the potter's wheel. And as our study series through the Old Testament book of Jeremiah continues, with the rebellious nation of Judah choosing to ignore the urgent message for repentance, we find God is left with little choice other than to sovereignly act with His righteous judgment. Yet Pastor Xavier uses our text today to illustrate God the Creator's graciousness is as willing to forgive as it is to judge. Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 1 through 23, the entire chapter. The prophet Jeremiah is sent now to the house of the potter, and it is played out in a threefold movement in these 23 verses. Let me read our text so we're familiar with it, so we can make our way through it. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel, and the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look at the clay, as the clay is in the hands of the potter. So are you in my hands, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and Concerning the kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. In the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, That is hopeless. We will uh, walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles, who has heard such thing? The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the fields? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their way from the ancient past to walk in pathways and not on the highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing, everyone passes by, it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind and before the enemy. I will uh, show them the back of them and not my face. 
in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priests, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word of the prophet. Come, let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you. I speak good for them to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to the famine and pour out the blood by the force of the sword. Let their wives become widows and bereave of their children Let their men be put to death, their young men slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from among houses, their houses, when you bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me in hidden snares from my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. But let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. The trip of Jeremiah to the house of the potter is played out in three movements that are progressive. And they come to a concluding message. They're as follows. You have the parable of the potter and the clay in verse 1 through 12. Secondly, the personal indictment and verdict of the people as unnatural clay in verses 13 through 17. And then the persecution of Jeremiah by the people for his message of the potter and the clay in verses 18 to 23. Notice first in verse 1 through 4, the instruction given to Jeremiah was to go to the potter's house. In verse 1, the manner of Jeremiah's instruction, notice what that the word of the Lord came again to Jeremiah over and over and over again. This was not a man on his own mission. This was a man divinely directed by God. But notice also the reason in verse 2, the prophet was to go down to the potter's house, was that Yahweh would cause Jeremiah to hear his voice. This is so good. It is God's mercy that allows us to hear and distinguish his voice. So often we think it's because we're so spiritual or because we're so educated. Listen, you can be the most educated fool and be spiritually deaf. It is God's mercy that causes my ear to hear Him, which is a greater charge to me when He's speaking and I'm not listening. Notice in verse 3, the prophet went down in obedience and observed the potter making something on the wheel. And the reference to the wheel, as you know, is this potter's wheel. You have a big disc on the bottom with a steel shaft vertically, and then a smaller disc on the top. His feet would turn the bottom one. On the top, the clay would be placed there, and he began to mold it. He, being the potter, could feel the lumps, the bubbles, everything in there, the imperfections. You looking upon it from far, you don't see it. He's the potter. He feels. He knows. He has in his mind what that vessel is going to look like, not the observer. He knows what's going on. Notice in verse 4, the vessel was marred. So the potter made it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. The sovereignty of God, his authority is the principle here. God does what he wills, when he wills, as he wills, where he wills, to whom he will, whenever he wills. And yet what he wills is never injustice or a cantankerous action on his part. 
So be careful how you charge God foolishly. The wise of God are the cesspool of man's drowning pools. Why? Let me ask you why not. Are you and I someone special? Does God owe us anything? The other principle is the need of willful submission to clay. Now notice secondly in verse 5 through 10 the interpretation given to Jeremiah about the potter's clay. I'm so glad because we're not left to our own devices. If this would have been left to us, we would have given it all kinds of interpretations. We are crafty. We are clever. And of course, we will always bend the interpretation to our favor. The prophet is told by Yahweh that the house of Israel is like the clay in the hands of the potter. He is sovereign in control of the nation. Verse 5 and 6. You remember when we were studying Isaiah? Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah said, But now, O Lord... You are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we are is the work of your hand. That's a confession on the positive side. If there's anything good going to come from me or you, it is because God is doing it. But many people use this to the negative. Well, you know, I am what I am, and if God doesn't like it, no, 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 no. Don't make God one with your sin. You're the creep, not God. This, by the way, will be another sign message for Jeremiah. Remember, like the sash? He will play it out in the next chapter as he collects elders of the priests and elders of the people and goes to the valley of Hinnom and proclaims the doom. And as he proclaims it, he takes this vessel and he shatters it on the ground, symbolic of the nation. Notice verse 7 and 8. Yahweh tells Jeremiah that if a nation or a kingdom was condemned to destruction... But repented. God would spare it. Now, is God just blowing smoke here? Is he just kind of just talking out of his ear, not really meaning it? No. Even at this last hour. But from the beginning, when he called Jeremiah, he told him, Jeremiah, I'm going to send you the people that aren't going to hear. They're not going to turn. But God always gave the way out. You remember Judas Iscariot? Jesus gave him chance after chance after chance. You say, well, you know, he wasn't predestined. Really? We're going to get into that. <laughs> Are you saying he was predestined to hell? Now you're making God unjust. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Yahweh also told Jeremiah that if a nation and kingdom is to be blessed of God, and they do evil and disobey his voice, then God would withdraw the good intended to be imparted. So you have both sides. I'm so glad he gave us both sides. So if you're walking right, but you turn, is God supposed to continue to bless you? Is God supposed to continue to condone your lifestyle? Notice 30 in verse 11 through 12, the reaction of the people to the message of Jeremiah. Verse 11, Yahweh makes the application to the nation of Judah and commands Jeremiah to address the nation. So the primary application, the context is to the nation of Israel. Okay, Judah. The prophet Jeremiah was to speak to Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Very specific. The message of Jeremiah was twofold. Notice, to pronounce the coming disaster, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. That's the first part. Now, some people think that this is just what God used to do. Are you saying that God cannot fashion disaster and devise plans against the nation today? Better think well. 
He's the same today as he was yesterday and forevermore. Has God kind of gotten tolerant of sin? Has he been worn out by man? Like us as parents, ah, just do what you want. I think not. But second, to call them to repentance. That is always the twofold message. Malachi the prophet finishes, his last prophet to speak. This is the book of Malachi. Repent in view of your sin, chapter 1 and 2. Repent in view of the Lord's coming, chapter 3 and 4. How does John the Baptist pick up his ministry after 400 years of silence? Repent in view of your sin. Repent, the Lord's here. Interesting. Return now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Notice the people responded by saying, that is hopeless. They acknowledged their lack of power to change rather than acknowledging the power of Yahweh to turn and change them. And this is always the failure of us. We look to ourselves. We look to our self-esteem. We look to our ability to be able to handle matters. We look to our education. We look to our past victories. We look to our seniority in Christ. We look to our academia, whatever it may be. And God says, you've struck out. You don't have the ability to change yourself. We've already read the prophets say, can a leper change his spots? Can an Ethiopian who's black make himself white? So then you can do good who are used to doing evil. They were also denying that Yahweh was the only solution to the coming destruction. Oh, you Christian, it's always God, God, God. He's the solution for everything. He's the solution for your problem and mine. In fact, I'm the problem. <laughs> the people said, so we will walk according to our own plans. They were committed to their own plans to avert judgment. Remember the hands of, leaning on the hands of flesh, Egypt? They were confirming only their trusting in the armor of flesh. They were cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in the armor of flesh. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is you're trusting apart from Jesus Christ. Whatever is the master passion in your life, that is your God. It could be sitting next to you right now. It could be in the nursery. It could be out in the parking lot taking two parking stalls. (laughs) Whatever your God is. And the people said, and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. They were set on the rebellion against Yahweh. They're committed, man. We should learn from the evilness of man. They can teach us much about commitment. They were completely bent on their evil nature of sin. Even as Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart of man is deceitful. Above all things, desperately wicked, incurably sick. And only God knows the full depravity and potential of that evil. Have you ever laid cement? If you have, you know that um, you've got a certain amount of time to work with the cement. Once you get it down, you may hit it one or two times at the most passing. And you're done. But if you get a hot load, it's been in the truck a little bit. And they dump it, and you don't get enough water in it. The minute you hit it down the ground, that thing starts sucking up, and it starts drying on you. And by that time, you start seeing it hardening up, you can't do anything with it. You might as well throw your trawls down, walk away, and come back with a jackhammer the next day. That's how we are. God gives us ample time as we're fresh cement. 
And he's molding and shaping. You can bend it, you can form it, you can value it, you can, you can put a joint, you can do everything. But once it starts setting up, there's nothing you can do. Now the fault is not of the cement finisher. It's the cement. The fault is not of God. It's the clay. It's us. God does not elect any person to hell. Nor does he choose to make a person's life miserable. Otherwise, he would be unjust. Both divine election and authority and human responsibility are represented in the metaphor here of the potter and the clay. But often it is ignored, especially by those who declare to be Calvinist, who only emphasize divine election. Their key word is eternal security. All illustrations break down if you push them too far. This illustration, if you push it too far, it breaks down. Because in this illustration, the clay is passive. In life, you are the clay. You and I are not passive. We are active. You're either active for God or against God. So be careful of hanging your entire theology on any illustration. Hang it on biblical scripture and doctrine. Yahweh's mercy and patience is marked by God making the clay into another vessel. God is very patient. Now, we look at some people and we say, man, they're patient. And we're impressed by once in a while a person. But God puts them to shame. God is so patient. Listen, if somebody ends up in hell, God's not going to be blamed. Guaranteed. Both predestination and free will are biblical. We were chosen and predestined before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says. But on the other side, you have free will. John three sixteen says, whosoever wills. And throughout the scriptures, whosoever confesses. So you have this tension between predestination and free will that you have to be real careful that you don't exclude one at the expense of the other. Or they still rationalize one that you do violence to the other. And this has always been the problem in the church. So the church is divided into two camps. I'm a Calvinist, I'm an Arminianist. Calvary Chapel has always been a middle ground. Because we believe in predestination. But we also recognize free will. And we recognize that if you try to understand them to an end, they are irreconcilable according to my logical mind. But they're not irreconcilable in the doctrine and plan and will of God. They're based on foreknowledge. Moody said, predestination and free will are two parallel lines. That we'll never see how they cross in this side of heaven. But once we get there, we'll say, hmm, I see. <laughs> so stay in tension. Don't let anybody divide you. Don't let anybody try to persuade you to be an arguer. Abide in Christ. Walk in the light. Obey Him. When you blow it, get right. And keep on the highway to heaven. It is like two oars. You need two of them to go straight. You get one, you go in a circle. It's real simple. 
God turns from his wrath and judgment only when men repent from their sins. We use human language to describe what God is doing. It relented God or repented. But we know that he doesn't repent as man repents. Numbers 23, 19 says. So God turns from his wrath or his judgment only as men repent of their sins and they turn to God. And God acts in accordance to his holiness. If you are wood, hay, and stubble, the fire consumes you. If you are gold, silver, or precious stone, you're turned into object of permanency. Are you going to fault the fire? The fire remains the same. It's the nature of the material. And so God is the epitome of holiness. He doesn't change. He acts in according to His holiness, whether you are in agreement with Him or against Him. He does not change His posture towards sinful man by man challenging God, but by turning from their sin. Some people think they can challenge God. Yahweh and Jesus are the God of the second chance, and the third and the fourth and the fifth. Look at Jonah. Look at David. Look at Peter. Over and over again. Better yet, look at you. Third, fourth, fifth chance. God sadly hears over and over again the same response about individual sins. Some say, I've done too many bad things. God can't forgive me. And sometimes it's because the life has been so harsh and other times it's just a cop-out. It's false spirituality. False humility. Others still say there is no hope. I can't do it. Losing sight that it's God who will do the changing. And so people have their eyes on themselves, trying to change themselves. Through all kinds of reform, through all kinds of programs, through all kinds of 12 and 13 step things. Take the shortcut, one step to Jesus. Die to self. So you can start living. Breaking yourself dead daily. Satan deceives people. The world deceives people. People deceive themselves. So they lived as marred vessels fitted for destruction. Instead of choosing to be vessels of honor, as Paul tells Timothy. It's a choice, people. It's a choice. You can't have it both ways. In fact, those who believe so strongly in the predestination believe you don't even have to evangelize because if you're going to be saved you're going to be saved how interesting well why do we have the great commission why did Jesus said go if it's said in concrete then let's just live on and whoever's going to be there's going to be there and let's let everybody else go to hell the parable of the potter and the clay spoke of the nation so what does it say about our nation today what great privilege we've had. What awesome responsibility. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the veracity of the gospel, remains as a free gift of salvation to those who repent. Just as the holiness of God refrains from judgment only to those who accept. Now, if you've missed any part of this message, you can hear it from beginning to end again anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to calvarychapelpasadena.com. 
And there's much more to this study to come right here next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is simply, Clay in the Hands of the Potter. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, Clay in the Hands of the Potter. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese continues our study, Clay in the Hands of the Potter, with the portrayal of the faithful obedience to God the Potter by the vessel Jeremiah. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 